This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. So Hollywood, it's a lot quieter recording now that Rock and Pod is in the rearview mirror. Do you agree? It's definitely uh, less uh, background noise happening. Uh, not only the background noise, but we had the whole stage facing us. So anything that happened on the stage was blaring in our ears. Well, I did my absolute best to clean up the audio that we recorded and it is very listenable, and so I think the listeners will enjoy the content that we captured from the Nashville Rockin' Pod 3, which took place as we're recording this last weekend, uh, and hopefully we'll get this episode out in the next uh, week or two. But yeah, it was a blast, but it was quick, and that's for sure, right? Yeah, we almost had the opposite problem this year that we had last year. Last year, we had so many interviews back to back to back to back. I think we had like three to four hours of content. Yep. This year, I remember you asking, I feel like we should be doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I think we only had like two interviews. So, But I think it was more about let's just kind of take it in. And uh, I'm with you. You can't do a full interview in a place like that because it's just too noisy. Yeah, it's too noisy and it's quick. You know, the artists really only have – uh, 15 minutes before they're on to their next uh, interview. So yes, on purpose this year, we made sure that we were not signing up for 30 different interviews. And it was much more relaxed, much more casual for us. We got to talk to a whole bunch of our friends and a whole bunch of listeners. So I think it was really good for us. It was a great trip. We enjoyed it as usual. And uh you know, it's like a flash of light. It's here and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because, uh, you know, I was really looking forward to it because it's fun every year. But the amount of time you look take looking forward to it and the amount of time that it actually is does not even match even closely. <laughs> so, yeah, it was done before we knew it, just like you said. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to kind of lay out for the listeners what this episode is going to entail, and then we'll jump right into it. So basically, we're going to let you listeners listen to some of the content that we captured at Rock and Pod, and that's going to consist of a few segments with myself and Sonny. Uh, I think there's a segment in there where I have a conversation with my wife, Jennifer, and then we've got a couple of quick interviews with Jason Beeler from Saigon Kick and Brian Forsyth from Kicks. And the Brian Forsyth interview kind of gets cut a little bit short because at some point you'll hear Roxy Blue crank up the acoustic set on the stage, which was literally 10 feet away from our table and our mics were facing the stage. So... We kind of cut that Brian Forsyth uh, interview short, and I'm pretty sure at some point we'll be doing full-on interviews with both Jason and Brian that will be more in-depth. So look for those in the future, in the upcoming months or so here on the Grown Up Rock podcast. But at the end of all of this, once we get through the content that Sonny and I recorded, we'll come back and we'll kind of give you an overview of the weekend how we thought it went, the pros, the cons, the things we thought were hits, the things we thought were misses, and just some of the stories from that weekend. Does that sound good to you, Mr. Hollywood? Uh, That sounds really good. I'm really looking forward to the Jason Beeler conversation because that guy is a hoot. He is fun. All right, so let's get into this. You guys enjoy the content from the Rockin' Pod Expo, and we will be back to recap everything after it's all done. All right, see you in a few. Damn it, Hollywood. Every time we think we're out, they pull us back in. And here we are again trying to communicate while sound checks and everything else are going on at the Nashville Rockin' Pod Part 3. It's fun here, though. Who cares? You having a good time thus far? I'm having a great time. Dude, last night was off the chain. And I recorded every minute of the Rock and Roll Residency last night. You did, and I think we shared it on the uh, Grown Up Rock Facebook page. So you can go out there and check out the entire thing because Sonny got the whole thing. But uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So we had a couple of opener acts, uh, which I missed the majority of. Lipstick Generation and 8-Ball were the opening acts. And then uh, the Rock and Roll Residency came on, and they did what they always do, which is They're basically a cover band that does 
uh, classic rock really well, but then they always invite their rock star friends, right? That's right. They had, uh, so Ricky Dover Jr. played a couple of songs. Tony Harnell did a song last night. Michael Sweet did two songs last night. And they did Soldiers Under Command. They did Soldiers Under Command. That was unbelievable. Who's the Exodus bass player? I don't know his name. Uh, Jack Gibson, yeah. Gibson, right? Jack Gibson and Ricky Dover Jr., uh, because people probably aren't that familiar with him, he was in the Biters, and then Tuck Smith, who essentially is the Biters, started up a new band called Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, and Ricky Dover is now part of that band, so... Uh, and Ricky, Ricky is a good guitar player. That was fun as well. They did a couple of covers. I don't remember everything that they did. Uh, so, you know, it was just a good solid set, a lot of fun. Uh, I had my, my glass of wine as normal or two or three. Sippy cups. Sippy cups. So there are these, they're called, it's like a Yeti cup, but it's about, I'm going to ballpark it at eight ounces. And, uh. It's kind of sippy cup. He puts his two dollar wine in, so he doesn't have to buy six dollar beers. Three ninety nine, and uh, it was three ninety nine, but it was on sale for two, so he bought two bottles. <laughs> um, so then he drinks his little sippy cup, and then when he's done with it, he puts it in his back pocket, and then he makes his wife, his beautiful wife, has to go upstairs, fill the sippy cup, and bring it back to him. That's not true. She didn't fill my cup up last night. I think so. No. Oh my God! This song sucks. We're going to be next to Peter Cessary the entire time from the I Love It Loud cast, and this is going to be singing nonstop. In a bolt of lightning. <laughs> I can't believe we're singing The Elder. What the hell's wrong with us? Oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so one of two good songs on The Yeah, on that's the right. Exactly. All right, so we're just getting started here today. We got a full day. Uh, we got interviews coming up today with uh, Brian Forsyth from Kicks. We got an interview coming up with Jason Beeler from Saigon Kick. We're close up and personal with all the rest of our podcast friends because everybody is tight living quarters here, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. Can't wait. Let's get on with it. All right. See the screamer. So the lovely and talented Miss Jennifer is with us. Hey, baby. Hey, how are you? So, baby, as one of three females in a room of 450 <laughs> guys, uh, how does that feel? <laughs> Pretty normal. I work in the tech industry. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, I mean, have you had any good people watching here? We got here late yesterday, so have you had any good uh, experiences? No, I'm looking forward to this opening because uh, once that cosplay starts, that's when the real fun begins. There's been no demon sightings yet, so. No, it's pretty casual. It's just uh, record uh, shoppers and uh, all merchandise black t-shirts. people, black t-shirts. It's, it's all about the bands. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sweet is already making his way onto the floor and doing interviews with a few things. Unfortunately, the, somebody scheduled him with our friends at Cobras and Fire the first thing this morning, which is a little tough on anybody, I think. <laughs> That's when you need to start your day with an Irish coffee. <laughs> hi, hi, Michael. God bless you. Take this choney wipe in a jerk sock. <laughs> From our table. <laughs> soldiers under command. I'll tell you, soldier under command. Soldier under hiding. <laughs> With that. Oh, so, did you enjoy last night's show? Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Incredible. The rock and roll residency is always fun, but with all the guest uh, appearances, it was incredible. Well, it's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a long day, and we're just getting started here. But I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, early comings and goings of people. Um, I think it's great. I mean, it's certainly wonderful having everything under one roof, just having the opportunity to stand in the hallway and watch Dave Ellison and Michael Sweet uh, just chatting it up. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's not every day you're walking through the hall and you've got rock stars just hanging out, chewing the fat. So pretty neat. What do you think about the new digs here at this hotel? Everything contained in one place. Oh, my gosh. So much more convenient. I mean, great to be able to have it all uh, in one spot. I like having the shows right here. I mean, it was so super easy to grab a drink and and just walk in, and there's the show. So uh, definitely enjoy that. Yeah, it's always good to have everything contained. Oh, shoot. We got our first cosplay that just walked in the door. All right. Contest's on. <laughs> it's early in the morning. <laughs> they're going to try and win that guitar. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're giving away a lot of great things, a lot of great instruments. Oh, my gosh. Incredible prizes. Great, great raffles. I mean, the value is is just, you get so much for your money. You're talking to people about something you're really passionate about. You've got an opportunity to find vinyl that you've never been able to put your hands on. I mean, Already, people are walking around with records that it's honestly like they just want a, a treasure hunt or something. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what vinyl collectors kiss do. and uh, all kinds of interesting things. So, yeah, I love sitting here. You talking about people watching, and you know, here's Sonny Pooney waving like a little girl at Drew Fortier because we uh, you took us talked to him last year uh, at RMP two, and uh, he was headed back to the green rooms. So, oh, okay. he, yeah, he was getting escorted back to the green rooms, but. Uh, it's pretty neat. It's kind of fun to see all the returning folks. I think that might be one of the best things about this, right, is that it's really grown year over year. So a lot of the same faces that we saw in year one, um, folks that are just absolutely pioneers in the rock podcast era, and as well as all these new podcasts that kind of are pushing the genre, radio shows, uh, really excellent. Yeah, it seems like more and more there's internet radio shows that are kind of coming into the space, which is fine because they're just taking their internet radio show and releasing it as a podcast. Absolutely. It, it's really, you know, producing more great content and making it available where people want to consume it. So, you know, if you want to listen on the radio, listen on the radio, but it's normally not very convenient. So these internet shows and podcasts, 
I on like, demand. Yeah, and I like that it's not so corporatized. So it's more it's more real. It's more I think for the for the true fan is what I'm trying to say. Like you're not gonna you don't have to hear the same song fifty times, right? You can play deeper cuts. It's just it's it's great. I get that there's not as much money in it, but it's great that it's not. <laughs> Is there so, any money in it? Well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> We're hoping at some point it explodes, but truthfully, we do it for the love. We're not doing it for the money. We'd have quit a long time ago if it was for the money. Absolutely. I was going to say, money only goes one way. That's out. <laughs> it cost us money. We're on our own dime to drive up here and uh, set well, up. That's why it's such a great time and having the shows packed into it, so it's absolutely entertaining be around folks uh, that, that enjoy something that we're having such a great time with it's awesome yeah some people uh, go on vacations we just come and vacation with a bunch of friends and do work <laughs> do work <laughs> do work do work but Son, it's not work. work it's not work if you love it right they say that I don't know yeah. <laughs> I've watched you cursing about how long it took you to edit or make that uh, cover art so yeah to sometimes be, I think it is work <laughs> to be fair I curse all the time <laughs> so. fuck no you don't <laughs> so, it's all good all right well let's uh let's jump into our day here we'll come back and uh, visit this whole thing a little bit later on all right see ya
Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Jason Beeler. How are you, dude? I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you for having me. Are you enjoying your time here at the Rock and Pod? You know, I've just started making the rounds. Uh, it seems like an awesome setup. It's interesting because podcasts are full of music geeks that dive deep into the stuff. So they don't just know love is on the way. But right. Jason Beeler, right? They know all this stuff, the deeper cuts. For me, my entry point into Saigon Kick was the first album. Oh, awesome. Uh, I grew up in Florida, so I think that we probably treaded a lot of the same boards at some of the clubs, like the, uh, what was it, the Button South down in... The Button South, the Treehouse, Summers on the Beach. Yeah, so we treaded a lot of the same boards back in that period of time. I think I was probably maybe five years earlier than you guys were. Uh, as far as cover bands and things like that. I started hearing about Saigon Kick, checked out the first album, loved it. So what we do with Growing Up Rock is we kind of like to dive down into the artist and where you guys come from. Where do your influences come? We have a series that we do that's Desert Island Albums. It's the building blocks of the music that we love today. So why don't you take us down that road? Tell us some of the influences that you look to. Sure. I mean... I remember my earliest memories of, like, my parents had eight tracks of, like, Meet the Beatles and uh, The Fifth Dimension and, uh, you know, records like that. Just hearing the music, just it just, I don't know, just felt special, like a different whole world to me. Right. Hearing that stuff. So, and then AM radio, too. Like, just being a kid, little kid in the car and hearing, you know, that stuff. Yeah. You know, that you kind of digested. A lot of the Motown stuff was on, you know, heavy... And then, you know, just getting a little bit older and, and then, you know, I think, I don't remember how old I was, but maybe getting Kiss Destroyer was like a life-changing, like that was the record I remember like going, okay. It all kind of starts with Kiss, it seems like, when we talk to a lot of people. Yeah, it's amazing how everything came from Kiss. Yeah. So that would be a pivotal record for me, you know, initially like that I just knew I wanted to create music and uh, do something like that. And then beyond that, I mean, there's so many critical concerts i saw i mean i got to see a ozzy on the blizzard of oz tour with randy rhodes and wow. ruby zarzo and tommy aldridge and that was like a life-changing like from a guitar playing point of view like that's what i wanted to do right like so that blizzard of oz record and dire from madman those two records were just like it's really hard for me to pinpoint like just one record that changed it it's more like an arc for me uh, uh, agreed yeah i don't think you can ever pinpoint just a single point for me a lot of the 45s like you i picked up from am radio and things like that i can i have these vivid memories of like uh for instance going to the beach during the summer and hearing um cheap trick uh i want you to want me on am radio oh, yeah. that was a big point for me you know that kind of drove me down that path of rock and roll so, I mean, I think you're, you're 100% correct in saying that it's a series of things. You and know? I think it's an awesome question in the Desert Island question, but I would wind up, you know, committing suicide via coconut strikes if I actually just picked, like, a, a shortly into it, like two months later, I'd realize I brought the wrong record. Well, for us, it's never, it's never going to be a single record. That's what's great about the series is we pick a album per series and visit that album and, and explain why and what it meant to us. Right. But there's going to be a ton of series on them because there's no such thing as a single. Especially, though, I think for me and growing up the way we did and even the Saigon Kick as a band, like, our diversity um, just... You know, it, it would literally be everything from Barry Manilow to Meshuggah. Yeah. So it, it's such a wide berth of music that I love. Yeah. 
Was there a point for you that when you first started playing guitar, were your parents musicians at all? No. When you first started playing guitar, what made you pick that instrument versus like drums or tuba or something? The reason why I wound up playing guitar was an accident. I mean, I, I think I told my mom I wanted to be like Gene Simmons, and she thought he played guitar and, and uh, brought a guitar home, and I was too embarrassed to kind of tell her she screwed up or, you know, whatever. So uh, I got a guitar. But kind of for me, music was just one of those things where I just kind of understood it. And more importantly, I kind of feel it understood me. And I was able to do stuff on it rather quickly. It wasn't... Uh, other people were struggling with certain things. And a lot of it started making sense to me. It was just kind of... The way some people, I guess, are with English or math or, yeah. you know, or art or painting. or uh, And that cycle just... To this day, I mean, it's just... I love doing it. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because I had this conversation. Do you know who Craig Goldie is? Yeah. Yeah. So I had this long conversation with Craig Goldie, and I honestly, I believe this, where you talked about, hey, it was kind of easy for you, and you picked it up fairly easy, and your parents weren't musicians beforehand. The same thing happens to somebody like me, where I have to really seriously compartmentalize certain things, and it doesn't come easy to me. I think certain people are wired brain-wise, or just wired a certain way, and Craig Goldie basically told me the same things that you're sort of telling me is that he just he saw colors in music and it just made sense to him and it was very easy for him to digest i mean it's not that things are so much easy i think when you love something the work is easy so it's not like you don't have to work at things it's just you don't think of it as working at things because you're having so much fun in the process of you know getting better or playing riffs or learning it never seemed like Math homework. Right. When I say easy, I, I don't mean to say, oh, well, this was an easy thing. I think what I mean by easy is it's just easier for you to understand. It makes easier sense to you. I think all musicians had to work at it. Were, were sure. you a, Were you a lock yourself in a bedroom and practice all the time kind yeah, of guy? I, I mean, as a kid, I spent uh, years playing, you know, eight, 10, 12 hour days just playing, you know, mm -hmm. but again, it wasn't so much like this structured practice, you know, sit down with a theory book and go over, you know, right. It, it was just, I just loved doing it. And I think there's a process that happens. I think when you love doing something, you tend to get a little bit better at it. When you get a little bit better at it, your peer group, when you're young, notices you're better at it. Right. So you get that positive feedback. So you do it more. Yeah. And it just starts this wheel spinning of, you know, like a, like a feedback cycle. Right. That ultimately helps, I think. Are you a noodler? You noodle on guitar a lot? I write a lot. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I play, I mean, given the opportunity, depending on my schedule, I mean, I'll have a guitar near me in the house all the time. So you talk about writing a lot and you've We've already talked uh, about all the acoustic stuff you do, right? You do all these amazing acoustic shows, which if people, listeners, haven't uh, gone out and seen Jason Beadler acoustically, please do because it's just an entertaining show to go to. But aside from that, do you miss playing with a full-on electric loud rock and roll band or... I think it's just a different thing. I mean, the cool thing about the acoustic shows is that you get to interact with people in a way that you can't do in a full-on, you know, heavier set. But there's a power to that that's amazing, too. And, you know, um, there's just different things at different times, you know. I mean, I'm look, I mean, I'm just so happy to be making music at this point 
and still be able to do what I want to do and not have a real job. Right. That uh, I count myself as lucky as you get, pretty much. So. Right. I, you know, if there's something to do musically, I, I'm usually up for it. Yeah, yeah. You talked about Randy Rhodes and seeing him uh, and how it was sort of life-changing. Do you look back on, are you able to look back on that show and remember bits and pieces of it? Do you remember how that was, how he was? Oh, for sure. That particular night? For sure. That that show left a you know a huge mark. Yeah. Um, the tone, I, just, I still hear the guitar in my head. Right. Like there's, there's something, you know, and obviously I was at the right age. It was the first show I'd ever seen like that. Yeah. Like rock show. Yeah. Um, so all the elements were there to like spark a, right. a small kid to go like, this has got to be the coolest job yeah. anybody has. Uh. But definitely. But I still remember like the guys that, you know, I've never been such like a shred fan, but like I still remember like Gary Moore mm-hmm. hearing End of the World on a station in New York when I was up there over the summer. And just being like that similar kind of sense of like, oh my god, right? What the hell is that guy doing? And still loved his playing and his vibrato. There's just something about the way he played. Yeah, that was just to me it was different. That right, hasn't touched me. But like everybody is, everybody's you know got their guys. How do you view yourself as a guitar player? You talked about shredders and and things like that. How do you view yourself as a whole as a guitar player? I don't really think. Of, I mean, I just I think of myself as a musician. Kind of, I'm not, you know, so can I play guitar? Yes. Do I solo and do things like that? Yes. But my first concern has always kind of been more song based. But I love jamming. I love jazz. I love experimenting. I love, you know, if we get a bunch of great musicians and I'll, I'll noodle about for endless amounts of time and repulse everybody. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I, I'm trying to think back to the days when Saigon Kick was at the pinnacle of their uh, their success and. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I ever recall you being singled out as a guitar hero. Although at that point in time, guitar heroes were kind of on their way out. But you've always been a very above average to me, a very above average guitar player. Uh, and so I, I was curious as to how you viewed yourself, and and you answered that question perfectly. With it's more about the music, and and you would rather. I think you would rather have yourself viewed as a songwriter versus a guitar player. To be put more a fine point on it, I just don't think about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever approach something like from a guitar player hat or a, I just, what do I want to do and create today? Right. And if sometimes that's more experimental, more high-end guitar playing, that's what I'll do. Yeah. And if it has no guitar solos, that's what I'll do. It's, it's I don't really think about, you know, in terms of what I'm going to right. try to do. Right. You and I uh, met briefly on the Monsters of Rock cruise. Was that your first Monsters of Rock cruise? No, I've uh, it was my the, the last year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that would be my third. How how do you view that whole experience and that whole trend? Larry, who runs that cruise, is an awesome guy. He had been talking to me about doing it with Saigon for a couple of years, uh, and I just wasn't sure. Like the concept, I was like, I, I don't know, you know, do I want to be on a boat and stuck and like what, you know? I, so there was that going through my head. And it couldn't have been more different and wrong about that. I mean, it's the best people, the best time, the most fun I think you can have. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I don't think that you're the only artist that basically has that view. I've talked to a few other artists along the way, and they're like exactly the same thing. Oh, I don't know about being stuck on a boat with... And I, I explained to a couple of them because last year was my first cruise 
on Monsters of Rock. I'd cruised many times before. Me and my wife love it because it's nice and relaxing. Monsters of Rock, not so relaxing because you're nonstop going. Everybody's so cool and respectful. Like, literally, I had more fun hanging at different people's tables, not just the bands I knew. I mean, I'm, obviously, I've been friends with Extreme forever. And, right. You know, getting to hang out with Dave Manichetti and the Queens, right, guys are buds. And, yeah. So that's fun on one side of it. But, I mean, half the time I'd be eating breakfast with just other people that were on the cruise. And, I mean, I, I can't say I ran into one person that wasn't cool and Have fun. you made friendships out of any of those? Oh, for sure. Over the, over the Tons. years? Tons. Yeah, and probably uh, that also happens as you do in these acoustic tours because it gives you more of an intimate setting, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I agree. The people on those cruises are just amazing. Yeah. They have the mentality of everybody. It's, you know, I, I even had a friend that used to cruise super high-end cruises. Uh-huh. And uh, she was really, she was a friend of my friend. Right. She was like, I'm not going on that cruise. I'm not going on that cruise. And literally after the first day, she was like, I can't believe how nice and fun this like no one's you know everybody's just friendly and saying hi and it's like it's such a good vibe yeah you can't spend your vacation dollar in a more wise sense in my opinion right not yeah but everyone's you know like you said everyone's super cool and fun to be with and it's i mean and it is expensive but i think when you really i was talking to somebody about it like when you break down like going to see a few of these bands like i don't know how many fans of any particular cruise you'd be a fan of but yeah I'm sure you're going to go see 10 bands or 15 bands. You know, each of those tickets now are 50 bucks, 75 bucks, 100, whatever they are. Yeah. Plus the fact that you get to hang with everybody. Yeah. You know, it's really pretty good value for what you get. Yeah, exactly. I agree 100%. When you start doing the math on it, it does really add up. It's absolutely true. So originally, my co-host who was here uh, when you walked up, he said, hey, for, for the Jason Buehler interview, just start out the interview and say, ask Bueller this one question and then just sit back. And, and I said, okay. I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, he said, ask Bueller, where do you stand on your political views? And then just sit back. And, and we started laughing. And the, the reason that he said that to me is because the one question that he and I re- remember is we saw you in one of the lounges. Uh, I think it was probably your second show or something. And, and you said, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to talk too much politics or something like that to that effect. And you said, but 50% of you fuckers are crazy. And, 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 then, and then that was it. And then you just left it. You didn't say which side you were on, left or right. You just said 50% of you motherfuckers are crazy. That's it. And I stand by that statement. <laughs> it's fun to watch you. It's fun to talk to you. It's fun to read your post. What's going on next? A ton more shows coming up with Jeff Scott Soto. Uh, I've been writing and releasing a ton more stuff. Tours, a couple of things are coming up that are going to be pretty interesting, pretty musically challenging stuff. And just look. I mean, every day I can wake up and, you know, get to play today with David Ellison and jam some tunes with him. And, I mean, life is good, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> there are people out there working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, have you ever considered or had offers thrown at you to be a hired gun for somebody, you know, Ringo Stars band or whoever, whoever? A couple things. I I don't think I put myself out there as a gun for hire. Uh-huh. Um, but it would have to be something I, you know, I, I'd want to be able to sit on stage and dig it. Yeah. You know, um, so it's not, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't have to do something based on just a paycheck. Right. And I, that doesn't, I, I totally realize how fortunate I am to be able to say that. Yeah. Because there's no shame in earning a paycheck right yeah 
but since I can make the choice, I just want to be on stage feeling the music or have that music. Yeah, you want to. You want to like what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, there's no, I mean, that, there's that, no that, shame in that. Right, that would be the thing. But I like so much stuff that that's probably even more silly than saying the otherwise. I mean, I could play. I've been mean, to play with the Bee Gees. Uh, you know, to Barry Gibb would be unbelievable right. to play with. You know, there's so many great songwriters and you know country stuff or you know whatever. I mean, there's from left to right that I'm pretty easy to get excited about music. Right. And I think a lot of that stuff is networking and you seem like probably as, as long as you've been around, you and Jeff both. Easy now. I didn't come here to be called old. <laughs> you guys you guys have formed those relationships with a lot of various people in the industry. So it wouldn't surprise me to say, hey, you know, what are you doing next month? Come out and do this. Well, it's this nice. Thing. I mean, I think, I think the guys that have stayed around, uh, one, love music. It's kind of it's kind of weeds out the, you know the, want to be a rock star kind of thing. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, anybody can have that moment for five or ten years. Very few people are Metallica and have a thirty forty year amazing career. Right. So the people that are still doing it, you know, there's a reason why they're smart, they're talented, and uh, they get it. Yeah. So like, there's a, you know, when you talk around a lot of the guys that are even here today, it's like, for the most part, I can't speak for everybody. I don't know everybody, but right, the guys I know are like, you know. Yeah, you know, th there's a reason why David Ellison's David Ellison, right? And it's not an accident. Yeah, you know, right on. Well, Jason, man, I appreciate your time. We are going to try and spend uh, much more time a little bit later on and get into your career. But for now, I hope you have a great rest of your day at Rock and Pod. Thanks so much for joining us on the Grown Up Rock Podcast. You too, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we will talk to you later. Take care. Thanks.
Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Brian Forsyth. How are you, buddy? Very good. We're Except com- I'm losing my voice. We're coming to the end of a day. You've been a busy guy. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on, man? How are you enjoying Rock and Pod 3? No, it's pretty cool. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, because you're new to Nashville, right? You recently moved here? Yeah, in March. Yeah? How do you like it so far here? I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so relaxed. When I'm at home, it's just peaceful. <laughs> and it's an embracing community in terms of musicians. All the musicians kind of embrace each other quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, not only the musicians, but um, the people in general, just very friendly. Right. And where did you move here from? Maryland or from Cali? From LA. LA. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, God, that's night and day then, <laughs> isn't it? I would move here from LA. <laughs> well, I like the weather out there, but yeah. now that I've gotten here... I, mean, I was a little leery of the weather here, but uh, I can put up with it because, you know, everything else is so nice. Yeah, and cost of living is much uh, better here. Well, that was the main motivation. You stretch that dollar <laughs> a lot farther. Yeah. <laughs> well, so last night you sat in with the fellows from uh, the Rock and Roll Residency, good friends of the show, mm-hmm. and you showed off a little bit of your influences. You, you sat in on a couple songs. You guys played uh, Bad Company and Leonard Skinner, right? Yeah. So for you, when you were growing up, First of all, let's start with what drove you towards guitar versus tuba or drums or something else. Well, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, really, I saw their very first the very first appearance, and uh, that convinced me I wanted to play in a band and then uh, and play guitar. Mm-hmm. But I did get in- interested in drums for a while. Did you? Yeah, my first band that I played in, I was the drummer, but. Uh, I was much better on guitar, so I stuck with that. <laughs> now, in the early days of uh, Kicks, when you guys were, I guess, Shoes, were you were you originally singing before Steve came into the band? No. You never sung? No. Somebody had told me that, and I hadn't heard that either, so I was like, really? And somebody said, yeah, originally he was singing before Steve made it in the band. I said, no. I, I don't ever remember <laughs> that story. No, they must have been on drugs. Did you ever sing in any of your bands? Well, in in high school, yeah, back when uh, nobody else would sing, so I just would sing because I was the only one that was willing to. <laughs> the singer was always hard, the, always the hardest part to find, right? In a band, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I sing backups here and there, right? And I think even in the early, like before Kicks was Kicks, when we were the Shoes, I was still singing a little little bit of backups. Yeah. But then once we became Kicks, we stripped it down so Ronnie and both Ronnie and I are just just the guitar players. Right. I got to tell you, I don't know how many musicians I've sat across from over the years that have told me the Ed Sullivan Beatles story. How many how many yeah. modern day musicians today do you think that that stupid Beatles uh, show uh, inspired to become you know musicians and rock stars? It's crazy, right? Well, yeah, especially anyone that's like close to my age. Yeah, I mean the newer kids, they're like Beatles. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But I'm. 53 this weekend it's it's my birthday bash Ah, weekend well happy birthday thank you man (laughs) and so the beatles were just a tiny bit ahead of my time i didn't see the ed sullivan things or anything like that i was a kid of the late 70s and and early 80s but 
I mean, from Gene Simmons to yourself to all these musicians, it's time and time again, and it doesn't matter when it comes to rock and roll. It all goes back to that, that Beatles. You know, nobody seems to say, oh, yeah, I remember seeing the Stones on this TV show or, or the Who on this TV show or Zeppelin or something like that. It always comes back to the Beatles, it seems like. Well, I think it's because the Beatles, nobody had seen that before. Yeah. And, you know, once they hit... The Stones and the who, who, they came after that. It was that defining moment, you know. Do you fancy yourself more of a Beatles guy or a Stones guy? Or well, neither? I started out as a Beatles guy, but graduated to the Stones. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, your vibe, your vibe in general is very Stones. Yeah. Uh, just the, the way you play and the drop-down guitar and your stage presence and, and your whole vibe. I mean, your vibe is very Stones-ish, early Stones-ish. So I, that's why I ask, because when you start talking to me a lot about the Beatles, you know, I was like, so do you? Well, okay, that's a good, that's a good point. Maybe the Beatles, they inspired me to want to play in a band, but musically maybe not as much. Yeah. But the Stones connected with me musically especially from beggar's banquet on and the stones are i always viewed the stones as like the um the beatles were the clean side of rock and roll and the stones were the dirty right, bad boys. Right, right. i mean right but yeah well uh, especially it, as far as image well yeah and it's and it doesn't even come i'm not even talking about the i want to hold your hand type stuff or anything like that i'm just talking overall because i mean the beatles there was I don't know. I understand if the people realize how really dark some of the Beatles tunes are. Oh right, I know. You know, right? And and it's so it's it's they can be very dirty and grungy as well. But there was just something with the Stones that kind of exude rock and roll, if you will. Not that the Beatles weren't. You right. know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, look at Keith Richards. I mean, that's just the ultimate rock and roll. <laughs> right. His look, his vibe, his heroin habit. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> everything. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And the cigarettes sticking out of his mouth. Right. Is there a cooler picture with a, a young Keith Richards with his guitar, his telly hung around his knees and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth? Uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, were, you a, were you a big Aerosmith guy? Yeah, yeah, I loved Aerosmith. Well, especially in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, I think um, my favorite record is Rocks. Yeah, over Toys in the Attic. I go back. I and mean, forth. that's a great record too. But yeah. I think Rocks. If I had to pick one, yeah, Rocks. What other albums would you say over the course? And I'm not asking you to pick one. I'm just saying overall, what other albums kind of stuck out to you as pivotal records in? forming your musical taste and driving you down the path that you're in today uh well the first one was disraeli gears which is cream by cream yeah, yeah. are you a big uh, clapton fan yeah yeah clapton are you more of a clapton fan than you are a beck fan or do you like beck at all oh i like him too yeah but i mean i can relate Eric clapton well he was first for me i mean yeah in fact, Disraeli Gears was the first actual album that I personally owned. Before yeah. that, I always listened to my older brother's records. <laughs> okay. But that was my first one that was my record. But, I, you know, it has Sunshine of Your Love on it and all that. Right. And Jeff Beck, 
It's weird. I didn't get into Jeff Beck until mid seventies when he was doing like Blow by Blow mm-hmm. and, and Wired. Yeah. Those two records. I love those two records. And they really are two apples and orange uh, type players. I mean, Clapton yeah, is completely yeah. different than Beck. But a lot of people talk about them in the same light in terms of being influential players. And to me, it's just it's completely different. I mean, they're both amazing, but both completely different guys. Well, that's it's like with any musician, you can't really compare two musicians because they're two different things, you know? Yeah. I mean, they both have their own thing. And Jeff Beck, I love his... He just plays from the... Well, not like Eric Clapton doesn't, but he just... It's pure feel, Jeff yeah. Beck. Like, there's no... It's not... It, it, it's not like standard licks. It's yeah. just feel and, and emotion that comes through. It's, it's really, it's special. Right. All right. So cream. So what else? Oh, wow. I'm trying to remember. Like early days. I, I love Jimi Hendrix too, but before I got better on guitar, he was way over my head. I just didn't understand where he was coming from. Now I go back and listen, and I realize he was just playing like soul music, really. If you listen to it. But, um, you know, I came up through the 60s, so there was, a, I did love, like, the, the Memphis soul sound or mm-hmm. the, the Muscle Shoals stuff. Yeah. Uh, but rock records, if, if I was to uh, pick, like, like say, Disraeli Gears was the one, and then the next big one was probably Led Zeppelin too. Yeah. Uh, I think jimmy page's playing on led zeppelin 2 was like the best out of all the zeppelin stuff i mean there's a lot of other good stuff but as far as i don't know there's special stuff on that record as a guitar player i've heard this mentioned by other guitar players especially when they're starting out and they're learning they gravitate more towards the guitar players that they can emulate or or figure out the solo or something i know for a lot of players they're like that's why I loved Kiss so much because I could play Ace Frehley's solos and figure them out and they weren't so complex. And you just sort of, I thought I understood you to kind of allude to that where with you were saying that Hendrix at one point was a little bit over your head. Yeah. So did you feel kind of those same things and did you gravitate towards one record or one guitar player versus another when you were learning? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's weird because now I listen to Hendrix and I know exactly what he's doing. It's like, I, I, I was just wasn't to that point yet back then. But what you're talking about learning guitar solos. Um, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Page was hard to imitate yeah. because I think that's why I like Led Zeppelin too because he played a little cleaner on that record. But most of the time he, he sort of pushed this idea of what he was trying to do but it would be so sloppy that if you tried to imitate it you couldn't imitate it right which is i don't know it kind of makes it unique in fact personally my favorite solos that i've done on records were mistakes yeah and then i have to go back and try to learn it to play it live (laughs) those are the hardest ones to do have you ever had a uh, problem going back and learning something you guys laid down on, on track because you, you wanted to pull it out of the bag and play it on the road, and you're like, what the hell did I do there? Oh, yeah, <laughs> especially if it's been a few years, you know. I've, I've heard stories where some of uh, some guitar players will go back and watch YouTube and find some 
kid playing their licks or something and go, okay, that's right. That's what I did there. Do you ever do that type stuff? Uh, well, that could backfire because I've seen people demonstrate how to play Blow My Fuse. Uh-huh. I've never seen anybody get it right. Oh, really? Or there was one where the guy was really close and I was like, oh, man, finally, somebody got it. And then the, the further into the song it got, the worse, <laughs> further away he got from how it was supposed to be. It's almost like he concentrated at the beginning and then kind of like gave up yeah <laughs> do you ever do, do you ever have to um bite your tongue and not comment in the section <laughs> <wrong>? yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's cool so um this past uh tour that kicks did we saw you guys on monsters of rock this past monsters of rock cruise again you guys are coming back again this year i think they can't i don't know i've i've read where there's stipulations in the monsters of rock cruise where they say they can't sail without kicks on board is that true i don't know but it (laughs) it seems to have been true (laughs) so last year you guys played uh blow my fuse front to back are you guys going to be doing anything special for this upcoming 2020 cruise yeah, actually, we've been talking about that. We wanted, we were thinking about doing um, like a deep, a deep tracks set. Oh God, please! So we're throwing out ideas about songs to throw in that we haven't done. Yeah, I mean, so far everybody keeps bringing up songs that we've done, but we haven't done in a while. And I'm like, well, why don't we just do, why don't we do something we've not done? Can I can I throw a suggestion out there? You can take back to the band. Sure, I would do a post or get somebody to post on your behalf. <laughs> get somebody to post on your behalf in the Monsters of Rock forum and let the fans decide what they want you guys to play. Yeah, we were thinking about that, but you know, that could be opening a can of worms, but it could they but could we pick could, some but we can always just choo- choose the exactly. cool ones, you know. They could they could pick something that you guys don't can't pull off live maybe because of Steve's voice or something, but if it's done right and it gives you the opportunity, at least you guys could see what they're thinking. Right? Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. That, that, that's been brought yeah. up, too. So we're not going to get too much done out of this in the audio quality-wise, which is fine because that's exactly why I said, hey, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a proper interview at a little bit later time. But, Brian, thanks for joining the Grown Up Rock podcast, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely into doing a Thank, full version. Thanks, man.
All right, Hollywood. We're towards the end of the day here. How's it going for you today? Uh, good. Whirlwind of fun. Some dude that looks like Kid Rock over there. Actually, that's Kid Kentucky. He's actually an actual impersonator. Yeah, somebody actually thought that that was Kid Rock. I think our friend uh, Steve Wright from Potter and Hell podcast was stalking him. Yeah. And I, and I even looked at him. I'm like, it's close, but he's about 10 years too young. Nah, I heard he wanted to get his autograph for Dylan. Nice. <laughs> Crazy. No, no, no. It was fun and uh, got to meet a bunch of people and uh, got a few autographs, bought a couple of vinyl things. So it's been a good day. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, it's definitely been packed. There seems like, would you say that there's been more people at this one? Than last year, yeah, I think it would be it would be bad to think it's not going to grow every year. Like yeah. it's going to grow every year. There's no way around that. Yeah. Oh, and this is a much bigger footprint, so it's kind of hard to tell, right? Yeah, yeah. What the way I was kind of judging it, as long as Alvin or Harnell or Sweet, if they want to do autographs, they're busy the entire time. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a line that's twenty eight thousand people long that's right right as long as they're busy that's all that matters right right yeah agreed i know some of the artists we talked to uh just kind of did a short our short 10 or 15 minutes but hopefully we'll set something up in the future where we'll have a little bit more extended conversation with both of our guests today so looking forward to that yeah it's kind of tough for both of us to interview somebody at the same time here because it's a tight fit that's right how do you think our live stream went off today? I thought it went well. I thought all your picks were wrong. Mine were right. <laughs> and I think the crowd voted in my favor. And, uh, yeah. We had we had people, at least we had people uh, watching us in the room. It wasn't empty. Yeah, I think we had just as many people as Cobras and Fire did. But, uh, you oh, know, they are bigger podcasts than us. So. I think we had more. I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure we had more. Well, I don't know. I'm almost positive we had more. Okay, then I'm almost positive you're wrong. So we had more. So <laughs> so I think I counted twenty to 30,000 people more for uh, our podcast stream than, than at Covers and Fire. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the live stream I thought was good. I thought it was a good idea. Um, you know, I think we're learning every year. We learn different things every year. It's probably... I, I, I would think next year is probably a little too big to do in one room. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of things that uh, I figured from this uh, experience that I would suggest to Chris that he change. Just sort of minor things. Did you buy any raffle tickets? I did not. Did they do the, they did the raffle already? No. no okay. Are yeah. you going to buy any raffle tickets? No. I never win. <laughs> well, if you don't buy any, how do you expect to win? Well, I never win, so there's no point in buying them. Wow, that is the worst reasoning I've ever heard in my fucking life. <laughs> well, we'll see if you win. We will. Then what? Then maybe it's worth my while to buy some. But then it'll be too late. Not for the next one. Yeah, but then the next one, your guy never wins, so I'm not going to do it. Did I tell you the story about how my cat had $3,000 worth of surgery and I don't wow. have extra money? Wow. $5. Did I tell you how I cat had $3,000 worth of surgery? Wow. <laughs> Dude, as it is, I've got to go and sell my body down on Broadway tonight just to pay for this trip. 
Okay, that'll get one dollar out of the five you need for the raffle. That's one dollar closer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate. Have you met any of the new podcasters that are here this year? Uh, yeah. I met the um, met Brad Page, met Judy, yeah. met Eric from the Electric Electric Crush. Yeah. I can't. Uh, oh, I met Jeff Reed from Hobson Metal Show. Yeah. And I can't remember the rest right now. Anything interesting happened to you today? No. No, probably not. I mean, it's it's all interesting. I mean, you know, that's kind of weird, but yeah, that's um, a, that it's fun. The, that yeah. wasn't the right word. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It, yeah, it's been fairly subdued. I mean, I, I think I enjoyed the fact that we didn't take on as much as we did last year, so that definitely made it more evenly paced for me. So. Yeah, I think that's definitely the way to go. It was nice. Yep. So, all right, cool. Well, I don't know if you're going to Dave Elson tonight. Probably not, but I am, so <laughs> we might have to recap that and talk about that at the end. We'll see. So this may be the last time you hear for, from uh, our Rock and Pod uh, recap, or it may not. That's correct. Okay. Well, let's go over to Pete. Is he ready for us? Yeah, he's ready for us. All right, continue listening to these two idiots over on the I Love It Loudcast. Later. Later. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right. So that was the content we captured from Rock and Pod. Like we said, it was fairly brief, not a ton of stuff there, unlike the year before last, which we had just tons of. But that gave us a lot more opportunity to take it all in, breathe, and just generally have a good time. It was my birthday bash weekend, which, uh, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but sounds like somebody else actually had another birthday bash weekend, at least uh, according to Facebook, right? And the guitar playing I heard was just as good as yours. <laughs> but I think we, I think we, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably worse than mine, but I think we proved that that was a, a false thing, right? Uh, they had come online saying that was all just a, a hoax uh, posting. In fact, somebody uh, shared the actual video that that audio came from, which was like entitled the worst guitar solo ever or something. So once again, trolls trolling the internet or creating misinformation. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I, I only saw it because it ended up in my feed. Otherwise, I wasn't even looking for it. It was amusing, though, I must say. <laughs> I did enjoy listening to it and just thinking it kind of made me laugh. Of course, the people that are going, what the hell are you guys talking about? We're talking about Vinnie Vincent had a birthday bash and supposedly the same hotel on the same day that Rock and Pa was going on. But I got to be honest, I never saw anybody that looked like they were going to that party and certainly never saw Vinnie. But apparently it did take place at some point and People were saying that he cooked all the food for them and, and, and all this other stuff. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I'd pay $300 for that, but uh, I might pay $300 for the activity that we heard about in the bathroom. That, that I might pay to see. 
depending right. on who it is. All right. So why don't we start at the top and go into all this? But there's lots of stories that we want to share with the listeners as far as our weekend in Nashville for Rock and Pod. And that was certainly a piece of it. But you want to come back to that? Should we start at the top and work our way down? Yeah, sure. All right. So we both got into Nashville on Friday. We both went to lunch with Baco and uh, Andy Shaw and uh, had a great lunch, had good conversation, and then dove straight into the weekend from there pretty much, right? Yeah. Friday was, there was a mixer, which was uh, kind of cool because, you know, you catch up with friends as they're kind of coming into town. And then there was three bands that played. What was it? Lipstick Generation, correct? And then uh, Eight Ball, and then the Rock and Roll Residency plus special guests. Yep, that's correct. And who were some of those special guests? And do you remember what they played? Um, all right. So Foresight came on and did uh, Ooh That Smell and uh, Can't Get Enough of Your Love. Yep. Uh, Harnell came on and did Good Time, Bad Times. Uh, Michael Sweet came on and did. Ain't talking about love and soldiers under command. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's a, that's absolutely right. Soldiers under command was awesome. It was very cool to see him do that. And then the dude from Exodus joined on that, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think you might be right. I think that sounds about right. Yeah, there were a few other guests that came on here and there, but overall, I think that's uh, about it. It was a good time. I know that we posted, you recorded that whole concert, you uh, live streamed that whole concert, and it's on the Grown Up Rock Facebook page, so if anybody out there wants to go check it out, you can see it there. Uh, Sonny was set up right, pretty much right next to the stage, so I know you saw it all. Oh, it was a great show. They sounded great. Man, Jeremy can play the guitar. Because I was standing right next to him. That was the side that I was set up on. Watching him play guitar, that guy is no joke. Yeah, both he and uh, uh, Phil are, are great players. For sure. Uh, that was pretty much the entire evening. Did we miss anything from Friday? I don't think so. No, I think we just hung out in the lobby afterwards. And, you know, for... Us uh, podcasters and just, you know, as humans, we're making these new friends that we didn't know before. So the lobby, you know, kind of just kind of sounds like, oh, you guys were hanging out in the lobby, big deal. To us, it is because that's where the friendships are really getting strengthened. Yeah, you're networking and you're, um, yeah, exactly. I, that's a great word, strengthening uh, relationships. Because these are people you just, you really, I mean, you see once a year, maybe if you're lucky. And there's just not a lot of time to, you know, get to know somebody basically, not even on a weekend. Yeah. And then when the podcast expo is actually going on, everybody's so in tune to the schedule and the celebrities moving from one place to another and, you know, recording their own things and trying to get set up and take down. And then they're trying to shop and have fun too. You really don't get time to sit down and talk to friends during the expo. It really has to happen either before or after. And then the expo kicks off early on Saturday. So as podcasters that are setting up a table and getting your equipment set up and things such as that, we pretty much were down there by 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And after being up till 
midnight, one o'clock, you know, it's, <laughs> it's little or no sleep. So, and then on top of it, if you've had a couple of glasses of wine from your sippy cup, right? <laughs> so we, we started the expo on Saturday. We got off to a great start. It was different this year than in previous years because to me, it felt like there was a crowd almost instantly as opposed to it kind of took time to build up in the last couple of years. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree with that uh, partially because of where it was at because that hotel just seems to have a little bit more hustle and bustle, first of all. Second, you know, we got some great artists, so there's no reason not to be there early. You know, Michael Sweet, especially in Elson too, uh, they were signing stuff pretty much the whole time they were out and about. So it's not like they really had downtime. Then you couple that with everybody got 15-minute interviews, the people that did get interviews. Not every podcaster interviewed everybody because nobody would want to do that anyway. But then you got those people moving around. They all got handlers. Then you got people looking through the vinyl. So there's there's just a lot of folks hanging around, that's for sure. Yep, and in addition to vinyl, they also had like um, uh, just different, you know, memorabilia and stuff like that. I know I saw a lot of like Kiss figures and stuff like that that was Kiss related, uh, as well as a few odds and ends. So it wasn't just vinyl, I don't think, right? Uh, right, right, yeah, because uh, Phil had all his stuff. Uh, he usually comes to all the uh, the Kiss expos. Yeah. Did you buy anything? I bought a couple things. Uh, I did not buy anything, but I will say that being that it was my birthday weekend, you bought me a very nice gift, which was three pieces of vinyl that were completely awesome and a huge surprise for me. But you you bought me the uh, first uh, black and blue record, which was signed to me by Tommy Thayer, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and then you bought me the Y&T Contagious record that you and I had discussed with uh, Dave Manichetti, how Boys Night Out, which uh, is now L.A. Rocks on the Contagious record, the original version was called Boys Night Out, and it's listed like that on the first pressings of the vinyl. So you gave me that, and then you gave me almost a, a beautiful copy of the Aerosmith's Bootleg Live, which is an incredible double live album. Uh, so once again, thank you very much. That was awesome and a great surprise for me. But other than that, no, I didn't, I didn't purchase any uh, vinyl on there. So, Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed that stuff. I, I bought a couple of things. I bought uh, Flight 666 on like a uh, white vinyl, I think it is. I haven't opened it yet. It's either white or blue vinyl. And then um, I got uh, Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet, the original cover, Japanese edition. Ah, cool. Yeah, I found that. Because I, I decided I'm going to get all my Desert Island albums on vinyl. Or I'm going to try. Not everything I love is on vinyl. Um, but I'm going to at least have those. And maybe one day I'll put them on the walls or something. I don't know. Where are you at with that right now? Like, are you at 50%, 25%? Where are you at with that goal? Yeah, I obviously have it all on digital. I have it all on CD. I have probably about 10% of it on cassette and about half of it on vinyl. So you're you're 50% then oh, yeah. to your goal. Yeah. Very cool. I don't I don't know how I missed that you picked up those two pieces of vinyl. I never, never saw you uh, carrying any vinyl around or anything. 
Yeah, I went uh, when I had Michael Sweet sign a couple of things for me. I bought it at the same time. Okay, very cool. Awesome. Uh, so, what else went on at this? We saw tons of our friends. Man, it was nice to see like David Cathy and Bill Elam and his daughter, Brianna, I think her name is. Jeff Reed, Brian Davis, all our podcaster friends, of course. Just a really great hang with everybody, yeah? Uh, yeah. I mean, we uh, met a lot of old friends, I guess now you would call them, because it's been two, three years. Yeah. And a few folks we had never met before. Uh, I remember thinking, I don't know if you remember me telling you uh, where Michael was about to go get interviewed by Baco and Luce. So they were one of his first interviews. So I remember him walking over there going, oh, please don't get mad and leave. They're just <laughs> kidding. They hadn't even said one word. They hadn't even shook his hand yet. And they've interviewed him a couple of times, so I, he knows what he's getting into. But I just remember thinking, they're good guys. Don't take them too serious. Yeah. I haven't listened to any of their interviews yet, so I'm sure they were entertaining. I'm looking forward to listening to their interview with Jason Beeler because that's a match made in heaven, those those guys in, in Beeler. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, yeah, I mean, just really great weekend to see people you only get a chance to see once a year. And, it you know, it go, just goes by so fast. But I think it does a lot to cement or help build some of the relationships that you and I created three years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. And then uh, after the expo, there was a few things going on. So there was... Elfson had a show. He was doing that bastery thing. Yep. And there was a couple other bands playing. A couple of us decided we wanted to go to dinner instead and uh, maybe just hang out versus going to the show. So I think a few of us split up. We did. Uh, but you, me, and Steve Wright and BB from the Potter and Hell podcast hopped in a car and decided to head to dinner together before. Uh, bastery was happening because I thought we could get to dinner and get back and time to catch some of the bastery. And I was right. You want to tell the listeners exactly what kind of adventure we went on to go to dinner? So when these guys ask me like, what kind of food you want or where do you want to go to dinner? If you've ever met me, I'm the size that doesn't really have any picky items. I just eat whatever's in front of me. So I usually just say whatever. So uh, they say family dining. So I'm like, all right, sounds good. Well, you know, for those listeners that live on the East Coast or West Coast, most likely family dining to you means, you know, you go, you have four or five people with you, you go to a table, instead of you each ordering your own entree, there's just food that comes, right? Kind of like uh, bread, spaghetti, maybe a lasagna or whatever, if you're going to an Italian place, and you kind of share it like a Thanksgiving dinner. Well, this family-style dining is a little bit different in the South. So we go in, and uh, basically it's a buffet-style type pay. So you just pay for basically being there. And you can eat as much as you want, but there's no buffet. What happens is, if you've ever been to a, a teppanyaki-type place where the guy's cooking in front of you and on the grill or whatever, and if you only bring like two or three people, usually they seat you with others on a table because – they don't want to have that guy cooking for just two or three people. They want to cook for like eight, right? So this is very, very similar. 
we go to sit at a table and it's a table that's fairly long and probably has like 10 or 12 chairs around it, but there's already three people sitting on one side of this table and they sat us basically kind of next to them and around them. So I'm sitting next to this lady. Seems like a nice lady. I didn't really say anything to her because I'm an ass and that's who I am. And, uh, we're just kind of sitting there and BB sits next to me and BB and I are like, all right, we're hungry. Like, uh, kind of where's the food. And, uh, Jen, your beautiful wife says, well, you just, you know, you get the food from over there. And I'm thinking that's <laughs> their food. She was pointing to the folks that were already sitting there. And I'm like, that's their food. And then the lady next to me, like hands me her bread. And I, I think I said, ma'am, I, I ha- we have food coming. I, I can wait. And she said something like, this is your food. And I'm like, what? And Jen Jen says, go ahead and take it. So I took a piece of bread and I handed it to BB. And BB and I are kind of looking around like, are we getting punked or are we about to get punched? Or, (laughs) you know, because in Oakland, you reach for somebody else's bread that you don't know, it ain't going to go well. (laughs) And uh, so this happened with the gravy and the potatoes and the macaroni and cheese and the catfish. And I'm like, okay, so this the this is the equivalent of you basically breaking into somebody's house during Thanksgiving dinner and plop down at the at the dinner table and just start basically eating. That's basically what this is. Basically, I'm the only one that was sitting at our table out of the group of us that's Southern born. So Jen was born in New York, BB and Steve both born up north. And Sonny, of course, the California boy for the most part. So nobody is really that experienced with the South except for me. So these boarding houses are pretty normal to me. I mean, there used to be a bunch of them at one point in time, and there's a lot less of them now. And they're these old Southern style houses that are were at one time boarding houses. And this place, which was, it was either Mondell's or Modell's. I can't really remember what the name of it was, but it came recommended because it was fairly close to the hotel. It was out by the airport. It was like literally out in the middle of nowhere at the end of a runway for the airport. And, you know, it had pretty good ratings. uh, So people recommended it to us. So we were like, okay, cool, quick, convenient, easy. So that's where we went for dinner. And I knew the drill. I I knew sitting down, they were going to have these big bowls of food and you were going to share a table with other people and you were going to pass around the bowls and the bread (laughs) just as normal. So, uh, you know, it was no big deal to me, but the looks on Sonny and Steve and BB's face was priceless. Me me and my wife laughed about that for about a half hour after it was all over. We were like, I wish we could have taken pictures of the looks on you guys' faces. It was completely insane. So, But overall, you know, pretty much Southern fare, fried chicken, mashed potatoes with gravy, cornbread, uh, catfish. It was, you know, it was a spread. You take a little bit of everything. It was like Thanksgiving dinner. You won't leave there hungry, put it that way. Yeah, it was good food, no doubt. So then uh, after dinner, we come back, and you went to the show, right? Yeah, me and Jen went, because when we got back, there was still an opening act on. Eight Ball, who had opened for the residency the night before, they were opening again for the whole pastry thing. 
So Jen and I went back up to the room. We changed into some comfortable clothes, came down and checked out Bastery. And Bastery was essentially Dave Ellison and Tom Hazart with guests from all over the place. So it was like a residency show, only instead of classic rock and the residency guys, it was more heavy stuff and Dave Ellison and Tom Hazart. But then they got into some classic stuff. So they started and they did some Megadeth stuff and things like that and some stuff off of this new CD that uh, Dave has coming out. But then they got into some of Dave's early influences and played like some Montrose and I'm trying to remember what else they did, but they did all kinds of stuff. And so it was cool. They had Jason Beeler come up and Tony Harnell came up and uh, the residency guys came up and sat in on their set and uh, all kinds of different people. So it was all put together by Tyson Leslie, who does this rare hair thing in Nashville. And he's also the keyboard player for Vixen when they're out on the road. So Tyson's kind of a Nashville staple musician type guy. Well, yeah, that sounded like fun. I just hung out in the lobby and just talked to some friends. I, I'm not the biggest Megadeth fan. Just I'm not. And I'm sure that there was some stuff I probably would have enjoyed, but honestly, I pretty much had it with, you know, I can only handle so much live music when there's a lot of other things to do. The Monsters of Rock Cruise is different. I can do as much live music as I want to, but I really wanted to hang out with some friends that I just don't get to talk to. So I did that instead. Yeah. And then we all came together after it was all over anyway. So you want to tell the folks what brilliant thing we did after that? I had this idea to do a Kiss song draft. So there's other podcasts like our buddies that shouted out Loudcast that have done kind of like a draft your own band thing. And and uh, some other podcasts have done like draft your you know top five albums or stuff like that. Well, I'm a big fantasy football and a fantasy baseball guy. So I wanted to do a draft that was kind of in that vein. So what we did was I put together a list of all the songs of all the Kiss studio albums. And uh, basically between the solo albums, the studio albums, and then kind of the hoshposh songs that belong on Live 2 or Smashes and Thrashes kind of made like a 25th album. And the intent was that we would do a fantasy football style draft and you are supposed to draft one song off an album. So, and then you would listen to that playlist of 25 songs for the next month or so. And maybe we throw it up on Facebook and Hey, who had the best draft, that kind of thing. And uh, so I had a draft board, we had labels, we threw a Yeti mic in the middle of the room and, you know, we recorded a podcast with 20 people in the same room. The audio came out all right. There's some, you know, shuffling of papers when I'm frantically looking for a label and that kind of thing. So you hear that a little bit. But uh, the spontaneous conversations are like podcast gold. So uh, uh, we are probably going to release that on the Podcast Rock City feed. I will let folks know via Facebook, et cetera, when that happens. But uh it was a fun time. Uh, your buddy here, Steven, drafted a great list of songs. He took forever to draft, but at least he didn't break the rules like our buddy Steve Wright that jacked up. 
basically the entire draft. I had to fix two more things after I got home, after I re-listened to it. Steve Wright completely just, I think he might've been a little bit out of his mind. I think maybe Steve had a drink or two and uh, was a little bit absent-minded because he was not getting the rules down. (laughs) And it was late at night, so it was pretty late, but... Like Sonny said, we shoved about, you know, 15 to 20 podcasters and their wives in a uh, small room. And it was just, it was funny because throughout the night, there were a couple people. Chris Sinzak stuck his head in. I think Chris White stuck her head in. It's like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> so it was, it was good fun. But yeah, I was lucky enough to pull the first draft in um the whole thing and if anybody knows anything about drafting you get the first draft but then when it comes back around you get two so really to be first or be last is probably two great places to be in a draft and uh i i fared pretty well i was pretty damn happy with my list uh there are definitely a few exceptions i think i would have gotten to one or two albums maybe a little bit quicker than I got to them because by the time I got to them, I didn't didn't get, you know, what I would think is a great song, but I took what I could, and I think overall my list is pretty damn good. And then you got to love it because if you're a Kiss fan, you know that a lot of that material is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, might be a little hashtag me too-ish a little bit, you know, but you got to remember it was the 80s. And the 70s, but right before we went into the draft, there was a discovery by uh, Mr. Cicery that uh, a couple were, uh, let's see, pleasuring each other uh, (laughs) in one of the bathroom stalls of the men's bathroom. So have that coupled right before you draft songs like, you know, No, No, No and Making Love and and uh, some of those, My Way, and some of these songs that are very suggestive, it uh, made out to a very fun conversation. <laughs> At least it wasn't nothing to lose. hey <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only at Rockin' Pod, that's all I can say. <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of the evening, but it was a great time. Overall, I think the event was fantastic. One part you left out, and I'm gonna re- I'm gonna revisit this part because we didn't talk too much about that. As part of the Rock and Pod, they always have these raffles and these giveaways. It's their way to try and raise money to pay some of the bills for Rock and Pod because it costs money to put these things on. So they had some guitars donated, had a signed acoustic by all the guys in Tesla, and they had a Dave Ellison uh, bass guitar that was beautiful that was signed, and um, a Kramer Flying V, and they had this other beautiful guitar that I don't r- quite recall which one it was, but it was I remember thinking it was quite nice. Oh, a Dean Vendetta. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. a Vendetta. Yeah. Uh, 
and they had some, you know, packs, uh, click t-shirt packs and, uh, just some different fan packs that were available as well. So they raffled all this stuff off and Sonny bought a bunch of tickets because the idea was Sonny was going to buy tickets. And then throughout the day, he was just going to give tickets away to listeners and people like that. But Sonny also held on to, I think a handful of tickets himself. And so, we get pretty much through the entire raffle and towards the end of the raffle, the flying V comes up and Sonny has the winning ticket. So Sonny goes and grabs the guitar because he wins the Kramer flying V out of all the stuff that he got. And he comes back and without even skipping a beat, once he jumps off stage with the flying V, he hands it to a listener and his son that we had just met this weekend, Curtis and his son, Christian, uh, who both had a birthday uh, today, as a matter of fact, as we're recording this, both of their birthday is today. And so Sonny hands the guitar to Christian, his son, and walks away. And that was it. And everybody was just kind of like jaw hitting the ground. Like, seriously, that just happened? The kid couldn't believe it. The father couldn't believe it. Hell, I couldn't believe it because I was going to be the next Eddie Van Halen with that. And Sonny gives my only chance away. What the hell, Sonny? (laughs) Yeah, that kid's got a better shot at that than you do. (laughs) I could tell you that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not a guitar player. And, uh, you know, my kids have been very fortunate to have everything that they want. And I talked to Curtis and Christian earlier in the day. And I found out that Christian was uh, taking up the bass just like my son is, and uh, he's a freshman, and that's when my son took up bass, and he ended up getting a music uh, partial music scholarship. So I was telling Christian about you know that you know if you really want to do it, that's the way to do it. And he was telling me he was taking guitar lessons, and and uh, you know what am I going to do with another guitar? I got a bunch here I don't play, so um, figured it would be in much better hands, much better used. And will sound a hell of a lot better in somebody's hands that knows what they're doing versus me or you. Yeah, that was super cool. And I think that it'll, uh, you know, I think it'll come back to you um, time and time again. And, uh, you know, it's just a super cool thing to do. We're going to post a blog uh, because the one thing we didn't know at the time is that Curtis is a blogger. So he writes blogs and uh, he happened to write a blog and sort of share this experience as well as the overall experience of rock and pod uh, in his blog. And we'll post that on the growing up rock Facebook page. uh, So you guys can check it out, but it was super cool. I think it was just an overall great experience for everybody involved with that. So kudos to my friend Hollywood doing it right. That was awesome. Overall, how do you think the weekend went? I thought it was great. I mean, you cannot ask for more than we're at Rock and Pod 1. It was good. We go to the second one. It's even better. We go to the third one. It's even better. So I know Chris puts a lot of work into this stuff, and I wish there was an easier way to do it for Chris because I think he puts a lot on himself to do it, but he wants to do the job right. And there is absolutely no doubt that the job's getting done right. I don't remember anybody complaining about anything. If you wanted food, it was available. All you had to do was go get it. If you wanted drink, it was right outside the room. 
Um, you know, there was a coffee place in the place. There was a restaurant in the hotel. Like there's, there's just not a lot of downside and it's a huge room and there's a lot of background noise, but it's supposed to have a lot of people. If you want to, I guess, have no noise, stay in your basement. Yeah, I think overall, listen, first of all, Chris Sinzak and his team that works on this have done an amazing job. As Sonny said, this thing has grown consistently because we were there in year one. And so we know exactly what it was year one, and we know exactly what it was in year three, and the growth is amazing. How any musical artist wouldn't want to be a part of this is beyond me because an artist can do 15 interviews with 15 different podcasts and get their story out there or their music out there or whatever it is that they're trying to get out there. So it's a really a great opportunity for artists. In my opinion, artists should almost be paying Chris to come and do this thing. So lots and lots of pros to this whole thing. Yeah, for my taste, it was a little bit cramped. It was a little bit loud. I don't know how to remedy all that because if you want it to be big, then you're going to have to have all that stuff. Initially, I thought maybe the layout of the room might have been done a little bit differently to prevent some of the noise that was happening, but that's certainly just a minor adjustment in layout, if anything. The one thing that I think I would have done differently or the one thing that I think I would suggest is probably... So Sonny and I took part in this live recording of the podcast. So there were about four or five podcasts that each did a 30-minute show in a separate room. And if people wanted to attend, they could. If not, we recorded it. We'll release it later. And so Sonny and I will definitely release it. We did a Striper album ranking uh, since Michael Sweet was there, we figured that that would be great for Sonny and I to do our 10 to 1 Striper albums and rank them. The only thing that I would have done probably differently is that I think to each podcast that was doing an interview with an artist, I would have had that artist, one of the artists, do the interview for the live podcast. Does that make sense? No, I'm lost. In other words, we interviewed Jason Beeler and Brian Forsyth, right? Oh, oh! so instead of us doing a topic during our half-hour live, right. we're interviewing Jason instead. Correct. And then because, like Cobras of Fire is doing Michael Sweet and correct. Digital Kill is doing Foresight, that kind of thing. Correct. And, oh. and, and the reason I say that is because A, you're going to get good quality of your interview you're doing and B, it gives the audience and, you know, it gives them some incentive to go, right? Because maybe some of the audience members are interested in Beeler, interested in Michael Sweet interview or interest, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I think it would be more exciting for the audience. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I think Chris had the right idea by giving the listener an opportunity to watch a podcast be recorded live, but you can enhance that opportunity by also be able to listen to an interview being done so you get the best of both worlds. You get to see it live and you get to hear the interview being done with one of the artists. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, exactly. That That's exactly what I was trying to say, but I was just saying it a lot slower and couldn't quite get it across. And confused everybody, <laughs> including me. Yeah, so thanks for clearing that up, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, as, you're welcome. As always, I knew I could count on you. 
so yeah, that's one thing that I would have done differently. And then of course, uh, like I said, our interview with Brian Forsyth got cut short because Roxy Blue at four o'clock did a acoustic set from the stage, which was literally 10 feet away from our table. So, and not just our table, everybody else's as well. So that kind of put a dampener on the interviews and everything. So if you're going to have that kind of an event happening, then just schedule interviews around it, you know, so that we're not doing interviews. Because I only had two interviews. I only signed up for a few interviews. And so I would have liked those to be, you know, as good as possible. But that's probably it. And those are just minor things that I saw. Again, the pluses, the pros, far outweigh any of the cons and it's always a learning experience so i expect like anything else there's always going to be opportunity at these events right yeah and i'll tell you and you know i've said it before i think you and i would both agree that we are acquired taste personality wise and people were nothing but nice to us whether it's a fellow podcaster whether it's the listeners whether it was a vendor, whether it was an artist, it just did not matter. And I, I can't thank people enough for just uh, the kindness. Like that's uh, unbelievable because I'm not sure I always deserve it. I know you don't deserve it. Uh, but anyways. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm not an acquired taste. I'm awesome. I look myself in the mirror every morning and say, you're awesome and you will do great things today. Yeah. So speak for yourself. To all friends of Stephen Michael, if you are riding in a car with him and he's about to park, just have him drop you off at the door because <laughs> he's going to go round and round and round until he finds the perfect parking spot and going to end up the farthest away from the door possible anyway. Listen, I earned that right after finding the parking space I did for lunch on Friday afternoon. Come on, downtown Nashville off of Broadway Street, and I found a parking space on the street right in front of the restaurant. Are you kidding me? That shit only happens to kick-ass people. Blind squirrel nut right there. <laughs> I found it. What's your point? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's pretty much the weekend. I don't have anything to add. Overall, it was a great weekend. I can't thank Chris and Zach and his team enough. I can't thank all of uh, my podcasting cohorts. Enjoyed the quick but awesome weekend that we shared together. Um, enjoyed uh, being and talking to all the listeners and all of our new friends uh, who I now consider friends. So just a successful birthday bash, rock and pod three weekend for me. Yep. Third one, check, done. Time for number four. Yeah, uh, I'll wait for the announcement on that from Chris. <laughs> we'll see if he wants to do that again. Uh, I don't know how long these are going to go or how long he's going to want to continue doing these, but we'll see. Uh, so, well, do you have anything to add before we put a cork in uh, this uh, year's Rock and Pod? We will release the Striper live recording that we did. Uh, at some point, I uh, may edit in a little music to go along with it, but uh, we'll get that out to you folks as well in a separate uh, episode. So until then, is there anything you want to add there, Hollywood? Nope. Just keep the feedback coming and talk to you later. 
See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.